Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Now let's get into this episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Hey, today on the show, we have Barry Lee. Barry Lee is an illustrator, muralist, and storyteller based in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have just been so inspired by Barry's work. Uh, Barry shows up on Instagram regularly with gorgeous illustration, but what really has inspired me is the heart behind the work watching Barry, who is disabled and and queer, show up and, and tell the story of what is behind this stuff that they're making has just on many occasions stopped me in my tracks on Instagram and really moved me. I think Barry is a tremendous example of fully embodying creativity and humanity in the work they're producing. And I think that you are going to be really inspired by Barry's work. You can follow Barry at Barry Lee Art on Instagram. And uh, I highly recommend it. 
very powerful work. And I think you're going to love this conversation. Also, on our website, we actually have transcripts of all the new episodes going forward because of this conversation. And you'll hear a little bit more about that um, in just a second. Since you're, you're such a powerful presence against ableism and you do so much advocacy, I just wanted to start by asking, what are the ways in which I can make this a better experience for you? Absolutely. Um, I appreciate you asking that because I think a lot of the struggle I continue to have is that I think a lot of artists and people who are quote quote unquote influencers in general are not taking simple steps to be accessible. Um, One thing off the bat is to make sure that you have, you know, transcripts of your podcast available for everyone. Um, You know, sometimes people you know, cannot hear the podcast, but also some people just don't like podcasts and (laughs) they, (laughs) I meet people who don't like podcasts and I'm like, Oh, okay. Look, I love them. But I, I also know that people don't always have the capacity to sit down and listen. And so having that option creates such a, an opportunity to widen your audience and something that i always talk about and we can discuss this even further is accessibility is the inclusion and making sure you're including everybody Mm. everybody and we talk about inclusivity inclusivity a lot And yet we can still sometimes forget disabled people. Um, And I think the reason part of it is, is because we grow up in a society that doesn't even consider disabled people. So I think, you know, in terms of podcast stuff, definitely making sure you have transcripts. And even in advertising your podcast on social media is making sure that when you are sharing your stories on your Instagram to have descriptive text. So maybe either um, caption your stories or just have a general type out a general overview of the main bullet points that you touch on on your stories. And I think that goes back to the... um, notion too that not everyone has the time to turn on their volume on their phone yeah true i was going to make the point that when you make it accessible to everybody it actually probably serves everyone it's not just for the people that need that exactly and a lot of times you know some of the videos that i post i hear from people who are all from all over the world and they say I'm a non-English speaker and these captions are the only ways that I can really connect with what you're saying 
because this is when I'm learning. This is how I'm learning English. Yeah. And that was something I didn't even think about. I love that too, because I think uh, obviously we're coming at this from a place of empathy and inclusion, but it's, you know, people are ignoring the fact that it's good marketing because you're allowing everybody that wants to access what you do access. Absolutely. And I've had people, you know, comment and say, well, I only have 200 followers. And I say, well, first of all, not every disabled person that follows you is going to ask you to post captions. Not every disabled person, you won't know. You may not ever know until you do it. And on top of that, making accessible content will increase the audience because they see your inclusivity. When it comes to transcripts and then also captions, do you have tools or tricks or anything that have helped you do that? Yeah, the app that I use is Mix Captions. Um, I'm not sponsored by them. We're probably not gonna get a sponsorship from them in this podcast. And there are still difficulties with transcripts, you know? Something that I've been thinking about a lot is how social media is instant, but accessibility is not. Mm. And so it directly contradicts <laughs> what we're doing, right? Um, <laughs> but also we should be very mindful already of what we put up yeah. on our social media and how we present things. Accessibility helps us to become more mindful of what we post to. And sometimes even for me, I do my best to proofread and mix captions and do all that. And then all of a sudden I post a video and then I realize that mix captions, I, I still didn't proofread it completely. So there's like an extra the before a word and all of that. And part of that scarcity of perfectionism in me is like, oh God, I gotta take this down. Oh gosh. And then I'm like, no, you know, I'm human. I, as a disabled person, mess up too. You know, like just because I'm disabled does not mean that I am the, um, the professor of accessibility, you know, and, <laughs> you know, um, there is room in the table for every disabled voice. There is a room in the table for every voice in general. Um, and showing that side of humanity by messing up sometimes is just as important to show. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's, uh, I hadn't even really considered transcripts as like that. That just seems like a, it seemed like to me a, a nice to have something I'll get one day, but there are actually a few small things that I could do to make that happen. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. That's, that's really helpful. So I want to thank, thanks for doing that. And if there's anything else that, uh, any other way that I can make this experience really great, just let me know. Okay. The first question I want to ask you, I know you grew up, I read that you grew up drawing as a means of distraction and it turned into a kind of therapy. And I, I, I totally relate to that as someone with ADHD. It's 
very therapeutic. It's a way of escaping boredom, which is, I don't think people know this, but that is the plague of ADHD. And I really appreciate that. But I also wonder, was there art that you consumed growing up, like someone else's art, that really transformed you or called you into being an artist? Yeah. Um, so back in time. So I grew up in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, a very small beach town near Virginia. And when I was born, I was born with a very rare um, syndrome called Nogger's syndrome. As soon as I was born, I was taken to the hospital to have surgery. So my whole childhood was filled with about 20 surgeries from birth until the age of 21. I really never was explained properly what that syndrome was until I was a teenager and until I started to question why I had to go to all these doctor's appointments and all of that. And so on top of the doctor's appointments, I am deaf. I was, I was born deaf. Um, so around age three, my dad and mom, or yeah, for Christmas, got me like a little play school easel. And I was just hooked. I was like, <gasps> there's a photo of me. And I'm just like me when I was three and with a little cast on my arm and then the other little piece of chalk. And I'm just elated. And it was literally me sitting down in front of the television and drawing. Um, and because I grew up in such a small town, I was not exposed to art. Um, so the art that I was exposed to was the Muppets and Looney Tunes. So that is what I drew. I drew Sesame Street. I drew Bert all the time. I loved drawing Bert. <laughs> um, there's just a bunch of drawings of bird around <laughs> um, and like Buzz Bunny and and through those funnels I learned about Jim Henson I learned about Chuck Jones I learned about animators and and you know creators and that is art too right like ultimately it is it wasn't really until high school where I discovered the work of Keith Haring, where I really started to resonate and understand that, oh, I can create work about my experience. And it resonated to me on the creating autobiographical work level. And it also awakened me to understanding that I am queer. So those intersections all built a very rich um, artistic language and upbringing. And, you know, when you are navigating a bunch of surgeries and all of that, it can be, you know, very lonely. And you are expected to be, expected to be very strong, you know, mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. And so when I was drawing, I was able to really just, like you said, like 
not be bored, you know, not be bored <laughs> sitting in a doctor's office, not be bored having doctors examine me and study me. And so I would just be drawing all the time, everywhere in the car, um, everywhere. It was just where I wanted to be. I, would, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the Keith Haring thing, but I can't just skip over the Muppets because, as you know, we're both huge Muppet fans, huge Jim Henson fans. Uh, he, you know, I actually I do probably think he's probably my biggest artistic influence, uh, and and you know probably uh, yeah d d deepest deepest influence, deepest catalyst to becoming a creative person. And I'm just curious if you have any sense of what resonated about the Muppets uh, to you as a as a kid? Well, I think part of it was the fact that the Muppets had four fingers like me. Wow. Did you did you think of that at the time? Yeah, I was like, oh, like, I really feel connected to this because I'm not alone. You know, a Muppet interact with a guest star, a celebrity, you know, um, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, there's other people like me. <laughs> Oh, they, they might be Muppets, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. And actually, I I felt very similar with Gonzo, just being such a weirdo. I I felt very represented. And I also, you know, you've gone through this process of owning what's different about you on several levels, and owning it and being proud of it. And I and I feel like the Muppets to me really embodied neurodiversity and 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 just diversity of just like everybody is very different their personalities are different they look different and they're but they're all they're all included and they're all they're all part of the team absolutely and you can look at um salmon friends the first show jim did and you can see that immediately it's like these bizarre abstract characters i mean yeah. kermit was just an abstract character all of these things were yeah. influenced by jazz and abstractions of those concepts and he never lost sight of that um yeah. even to the point where he was like i'm gonna make a show to stop war okay fraggle rock <laughs> yeah. like yes okay man <laughs> It's amazing. What what high hopes and that that I you know I I feel like that depth. I feel like when you make something, you can only get a little of the depth that you intend to put in it. So why not intend huge depth? Because you're not going to get that in there. You're not going to you're going to barely be successful at that. And so, but if you don't even start with huge depth, you don't have a chance. Exactly. And in a lot of ways he makes depth accessible through the work that he creates. And that is something that I try to do every day in my life with my work. You definitely do. And I, I recognize that. And I want to get to that uh, in a little bit, but I also want to just camp out on Keith Haring. And if I'd love to just hear you talk about how, what it was like to discover Keith Haring, how that happened, and then what that story was like. Totally. So I was a junior in high school and I was in AP art. So if you're not familiar with the systems of AP art, you're supposed to create a body of work and all of that. And so the first half of the semester or quarter, whatever system we were in, 
um, was about research, was about, you know, finding different things. And through research, I learned about Basquiat, and then that led to Keith Haring. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, because I was still, like, drawing very cartoony things. Um, and this was work that was personal, subliminal, um, yet approachable. So I wouldn't know at first that one of his pieces would have greater meaning besides just the aesthetic. And when I learned about the intention behind the work that he did, I was like, oh, okay, this is like what I gotta do. And so I'd made a whole concentration about like controversial issues, <laughs> which is such a 15 year old thing to do <laughs> when you're in a small town and yeah. you just don't know like who you are and, or you're very much questioning who you are. And then in my senior year, I was just out of a failed surgery and I was feeling really frustrated. And that was around the time that I really questioned and asked my parents, like, why do I have to do this? Because at that time, like I had braces on my teeth since age nine. And so when you're a teenager and you're going through puberty, like, I don't want these braces on me. Like, come on. Um, so the more I learned about that and learned about the syn syndrome that I had, the more I wanted to channel that through art. And I was like, oh, like Keith Haring. Okay. <laughs> and that, those, that body of work was really inspired by Salvador Dali because I was like really depressed and really you know, in these dark <laughs> feelings. Um, mm -hmm. But they did, you know, catapult from Keith. And mm -hmm. it showed me um, the power of individualism um, and the power of pride. Do you have an example of like a, of a specific thing that he did that he put into his work or that, you know, where you realized... Was it in something he said or wrote about a piece? Yeah. Is there any, does anything strike you for that? I think I really noticed it when I started to research the work that he did when he was diagnosed with AIDS. Mm. Because that was a real turning point in his own art. And it was much more darker, but still like, you know, hints of this cheerfulness and playfulness. Um, and it was explicit and it was radical and it was not art that I was surrounded by. Like growing up in a small beach town, the art that you're surrounded by is lighthouses and birds and, you know, crabs and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, you know, there's a market for that. There's a market for everything. Right. And you sure. discuss that all the time, but I knew that, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to do that. So I was like, what am I going to be? I'm going to be the antithesis of that. Um, and that's what I did. And really seeing Keith's work just affirmed to me um, that I needed to do that. Yeah. And I, it, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if, I, with the algorithm, I have no idea when you could have posted this three years ago, but today I saw a mural that you did under a bridge. 
what, what, I don't know when you did you post that today. I did post it today. Days? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> and I love and I read read the caption and I loved. I thought that you really described what these faces could mean, what they, how you were intending them. And I thought it's a weird chicken and an egg thing. When you put that depth in there, it can be as much about making people feel that when they're experiencing the art or the art can get the attention to the kind of article that you wrote about it. And so it can be kind of a, it does, it's not, it, this is exactly what it is, or, uh, you, you know, you're adding meaning later, but it's this, it, it's, I've, I'm very interested in art's ability to gain attention so that you can communicate something that they wouldn't have listened to any other way. And I'm struck by, I can see the parallel between what Herring did and, and how he put meaning into his work and what those symbols meant. And uh, I'm very interested in that symbolism because I think that the gap between the picture and the words, it's a huge gap. And, and trying to infuse that and make them the same thing is, a, is kind of a life's work. It is. And, you know, there, that piece that you were referring to is a bridge that I did called Eyes on You. And um, I painted a bunch of these abstract, colorful faces and things on this gigantic bridge in Atlanta. And they represent people who stare at me because of my facial disfigure disfigurement. Um, you know, Alma, and, you know, now with the pandemic, you know, I don't go out anywhere. So I kind of don't have to worry about that right now. Um, which is its own interesting thing to navigate. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But there are many times where I get invasive questions about my looks, many times where I get stared at because of my facial disfigurement, um, and people either might try to hide it, and some people don't. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, um, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I don't know what you have, but you should really go to an eye doctor and get your eyes fixed. I mean, it, this is one of many things that people have said to me. Good Lord. Um, and so the bridge and some of my work, not all of it, um, really represents the feeling of being stared at and it being loud. So these colors are just, it's multicolorful. These figures tower over you. And the representation and the symbolism behind that is that they're all laughing at you and they're all staring at you. And when you are being stared at, when you're being laughed at, it feels like it's gigantic. It feels like it's loud. Even if other people don't see it, you see it. Um, and that, I mean, and that bridge has been interesting because you're right. You know, some people don't take the time to look at context, especially now with social media. Um, murals are now things to take photos in front of. And... So I witness sometimes people taking photos in front of that bridge and I'm like, 
y'all really did not look in the intention of this. I mean, okay. Um, <laughs> see very happy people doing like holding a beer, da, 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 you know, and that's fine. <laughs> but it, I have to take my ego out of it because once I put it out in the world, it's out. Right. And so it's a balance of, do I want to carry a megaphone all the time? Or do I want to trust people enough to research it? And I've come to the place where I'm like, I want to trust people enough. Um, and I've come to a place where I'm building an audience where more people are starting to wake up to the stories I'm telling. And, you know, I think another example of what you discuss is there about 2017 or 18 MailChimp asked me to design a pride parade campaign for Atlanta pride parade. And it was, you know, corporations doing pride things can be very sticky, Yeah, you know? So I was like, the only way I will do it is to talk to your employees and see what they want. I want to talk to your LGBTQIA plus employees and see what they want. So we set a full day of interview of me interviewing about 20 employees from the LGBTQIA plus community. And every single one of them was like, I don't want rainbows. I don't want rainbow flags. I'm tired of it. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. Great. That's I'm definitely not thinking that. And so, you know, some of them were sharing. Um, I asked Alyssa questions like, what is love to you? What would you tell your 16 year old self? You know, I asked these very personal questions to kind of gather data um, and get to know these people. And so I came up with this in that I came up with um, this um, installation of heart balloons and the message behind it is love is the message, which is a reference to a 1974 disco song, which around 1973, 1974 was when disco was really starting to come into play, you know, more queer clubs and things like that were coming together underground. And so it was a homage to that, but it was a homage to to just love, you know, because ultimately that is the message of it. So there were some hearts that did not have wings and then there were hearts with wings and the hearts with wings, you know, let me backtrack. You know, you ever get to that point where you're, you're like, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the time. All the That's time. my whole life. In fact, I have a, I feel like there must be an ADHD thing where I, I, like, I, I think I, maybe I could be a good mystery novel writer because I write in reverse. Like, all of my, it's always backwards. So, yeah. Yeah. Too well. So, feel free. Rewind. Um, so there are hearts with wings and there are hearts without wings. And the hearts without wings represent those who are not out yet. 
uh, but to tell them that they are still loved no matter what part of the process that they're in. And then the hearts with wings represent those who are out. Um, and that was a real moment of seeing that mo that um, installation in person and you know, the employees handed out um, stickers that I designed and all of that and walking to Piedmont Park in Atlanta and just seeing so many people that I did not know and that did not know me just wearing these stickers and, and, and loving each other and, and having community. And that's what I love to create is experiences like that, is like the bridge, is like the pride parade installation. These things that hold intention but can also be just enjoyed. I, you know, I want to, rewind uh for a second back to the bridge because this is such a i've been thinking a lot about <laughs> i hate this term so much so i apologize before i say it but i'm thinking about uh i'm always dive like right now i'm in a place in my career where i'm not personally thinking about marketing all the time there was a time where that was a big like i was looking to break in in a bigger way. And I spent a bunch of time and everything I learned in that time, I translated and, and used in the art world. And then I made the, a lot of that into the podcast. But, but at this point, that's not been the season I'm in. And so every once in a while, I try to dive back in there too, partially because it can be fun, just like a challenge to grow things but also to speak into people that are in that place right then. Anyway, huge, huge preface to say, I'm about to say the word funnel. <laughs> I hate that word. I hate it, but I've been noticing this parallel between, uh, you know, they call it funnel in marketing. It's the customer journey. Uh, and I see the same thing happen in creativity. And it's not just in art. It's not just about, making money. It's also about getting a message to somebody. And I thought it was so interesting when I looked at the mural that you painted under the, or that you designed under the bridge, uh, I, my first impression, and this is the, the top of the funnel. This is what, where the first awareness of a thing. My first impression was this is a happy mural. This is a, this people are laughing and having a good time. And it's an, it's a celebration of all good things. And then when I start reading, <laughs> when I start read, it was a, it was a powerful experience. I have to tell you, Barry, because then I read your caption about these are people laughing at you, laughing at, at people. And I looked back at it. The mural changed. It was a different mural. Now, the thing is, though, when we first started talking, I didn't read your captions. I, lots of people don't, right? Like, that's the bottom of the funnel. And I think one of the things that you said was about being comfortable uh, letting people go through that journey. And I think that's the key. And I it reminds me, funnily enough, I think it's called 
swimming pools by Kendrick Lamar. I could be wrong about this. This could be the wrong interpretation. But when you listen to that song the first time, you're like, this is about getting effed up. This is a song celebrating the club and drinking and, you know, all that. And he, I feel like he had to be comfortable thinking 90% of people that hear the song, that's what they're going to think it is. But then if they take another layer down, they're like, oh, this is kind of the the dark side of, of, of drinking. This is, you know, and I feel like the artists that are the most powerful get comfortable with being misinterpreted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's still a process I'm working through. That is a Me process too. that I only now am coming to terms with. Um, and part of that is me knowing that my message is consistent. So, you know, when you say that, that is partially why I create videos, right? Because this is a, this was a segue to me saying, okay, not everyone is going to read a caption. Why don't we just do a video? <laughs> and the videos allow me to connect to my audience and vice versa. And when I started to notice that was when I started to really notice my audience really looking for the intention behind things because I consistently presented them with challenges with all of that. Yeah. I think about the quote, um, I need to look it up. I think about the quote by James Baldwin um, that says, the role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. And when I saw that quote for the first time, I was like, oh my God, this is me. <laughs> this is how I feel about my work. This is how I feel um, about what I want to do, you know? Um, and two, the start of that funnel is the spoonful of sugar. And as you go down, that makes the medicine go down. The medicine being hard information, but the spoonful yes. of sugar being the colors, the cute characters. Yeah, I love that. It also reminds me, one of my all-time favorite quotes is uh, Paul Clay said, uh, art does not reproduce the visible, rather it makes visible. Uh, and I feel like, yeah, I, I love that so much. Uh, Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, I wondered when you're getting started before you ever get any jobs and you get kind of where, where you are now doing what you're doing, what were the early obstacles? Did you go to school? Yeah, so I went to art, art school and went, um, graduated illustration degree and I worked like retail for a bit, <laughs> as we all do, um, yeah. as we all have to do something like that. And there have been many moments in my life where I have pivoted, but I have been steered back to my art every single time. I started to do art shows after college, I started to do some solo art shows in a coffee store. Um, and the second art show that I did was a series of illustrations based on my childhood. It's called Home is Where You Drown, um, which is in reference to the beach town. 
and I shared a lot of like whimsical illustrations, um, but I also painted a mural that is actually the um, the launching pad of the mural that we discussed in the bridge. Just sh smaller figures staring at you. Um, but the fact that this was in another public space, this was in a coffee shop. This is where I was being stared at all the time in coffee stores, you know? So because of that mural that I did, um, and I just volunteered to do it, you know, because that was a part of the show. And then the coffee shop was like, we would love to keep it. I was like, great. Um, and from there was when I started to get more commissions because it was in a coffee spot. It was in one of the best spaces in town. Um, and I started to get more mural commissions. Um, and I enjoyed it, <laughs> but a lot of those murals too were not intentional. You know, they were not rooted in intention. And so I had to ask myself, how can I work with clients and be intentional at the same time? How can I make, for me, it's so fun to really deep dive with clients, to really like take the time and energy to create something that they're going to really love because they're the ones that have to see this every day. I'm not. <laughs> and so there's, there should be intention behind the work. Um, and there were many instances in my early part of my career where I almost fell into traps. So for example, there was a project, there was a company that approached me to do a mural and design a bunch of illustrations and things like that for them. And they told me, they said, you are against two other people, which I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of when clients tell me that um, there's two other people in line for this as well. So buck up, chap, you know, like, I'm, yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not some, yeah. for me, it's like, everyone has room in the table and mm. you like my work, you like it. You don't, that's fine too. You know, like there are plenty of people out there that I'm like, I'm not a fan of their work. Okay. That's that. Um, but I, the project was going to consist of a lot of work. And so I send this quote and I was like 23 um, or 22. And I send this quote that was the largest quote I've ever sent in my life still to this day. Um, and they were like, okay, they chose you. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. So I go and I begin to do this work and they're like, okay, we're going to go pitch this to our client. It was an agency that was doing all this. Uh -huh. And so we're going to call you at 12. So 12 o'clock rolls by, I don't get a call. Four o'clock rolls by, I don't get a call. About six o'clock, I get a call and they're like, hey, they decided to go with someone safer. And I was like, okay. Um, so I sent them a quote for the work that I did and thanked 
goodness they paid it. Um, which, by the way, make sure that you have a cancel fee. <laughs> Y'all, yeah. that's yeah. very important. So I was really upset. But then I got a text from a friend who said, hey, go check this out. So they sent me a link to a news article that says mural causes disturbance in neighborhood <laughs> and it was the mural that i was going to do so it turns out that the um purpose of the mural the reason why they did they um hired people to do the mural was to look like they were supporting something when they really were not supporting it at all mm. they were harming it they were harming things that they supposedly were supporting i'm being very vague here because i get it yeah they're it's almost like a cover-up it's almost like someone saying yeah yeah so they had all over the neighborhood <laughs> It's, it's comical. They had all over the neighborhood these things that mocked the mural, all the people that angry neighbors did. So they were drawing things that mocked the mural and they were throwing paint at it and they were destroying it. <laughs> and that moment for me was like, oh, I need to be very intentional about who I work for. The money will come, but what matters is that it aligns with my values and my my morals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good lesson. The uh one of the things that you have said you've kind of mentioned this a few times. One of my earlier you said that social media is instant but accessibility is not. And you've said maybe once or twice on top of that taking time. And I feel like intentionality, taking time, these seem like huge values to you. And they, how does that, how does that manifest in your creative practice? Because I do think, and it's very inspiring to me because I feel, you know, I, I, recently I told you I was diving back in the marketing world, kind of like, oh God, here I go. I'm going to go back in there. And I always translate it. I always, and I always, and you really got to you know, you got to brace yourself because it's it's not a great world to spend a ton of time in, honestly. Uh, but there, I think there's genuine things. There's there's good things. There's, you know, being persuasive to others to persuade them into good things. That's a great way to market like that. And you need those tricks, right? And you need the tools. How do you connect with people? Uh, but one of the things that happens when I dive in that world is I get seduced to, uh, you know, I, I was listening to 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 go faster, Faster, faster. You know, I was listening to one person who built this Instagram following and, you know, they're posting five or six times a day. And there's, <laughs> and it, but you get, it's so easy. You know, people watch the social dilemma. You know, people, people are aware of the world is desperately begging you to go faster. And, and, and you're, and I actually, I think especially creativity is almost always the, it's, I often feel like creativity is the anti-productivity in a way. And so I wonder what practices or how that manifests, or if you could just speak to taking your time. I think a lot of us artists are in this um, hustle culture. 
and I'm very anti-hustle culture. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that hustle culture has been ingrained in us due to the fear that we carry that we're not going to get more work after what we're doing versus trust in our own path versus genuine trust. Yeah. For me, it took me a while to dismantle that need. Um, and it was interesting because only recently my following has really started to grow and be consistent. And there are many times where I feel pressure <laughs> to um, show up all the time when I just don't have the capacity. I really don't. I want to be able to enjoy creating work. And I think sometimes like this hustle, this hustle culture prevents us from truly enjoying the process. How are you going to enjoy the fruits of your labor if you're rushing in the parts of your labor, mm -hmm. you have to enjoy the process as well. So for me, um, that is a very strict meditation practice. Um, and so every morning I meditate, I, um, am working on right now, not turning my phone on first thing in the morning. I went and I locked my phone up for two hours start of my day so maybe that means that i make um a drawing on my ipad um and enjoy coffee with that and when i have access to my phone i have to watch myself sometimes because i'm like oh i love what i'm drawing i'm gonna post it today right now and i'm like uh, 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 uh. no <laughs> this can wait you know and Every time that I have waited to post certain things and gotten this sort of ping from the universe to say, okay, you can post this now. Every time I have somebody comment and say, I really needed this today. It's the resonance, you know, and, yeah. and it's, and I love that mystery of it. You know, it's just like, uh huh. Yes. That is why it's the trust of knowing that your audience will always be there and appreciate what you do. That man, that is my jam. I love that. <laughs> I, man, I don't, I don't do that exact practice, but it's close. I do some things like that. Now I'm going to do that. That I love that so much. Uh, I have one more question and it's, you talked about Keith Haring and, and all the ways that he influenced what you do. And I wonder as you've kind of, you know, by, by kind of your words stepped into, you're starting to step into your own, you feel like, how do you want to give what he gave you? But then also, how do you want to give something different or more than that through your creativity? What do you want to do that, he, you know, maybe he, how do you want to pick up the torch, I guess? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, we carry our own individual torches that are um, built by influence of others. Um, it's interesting because I was actually watching PBS just released a documentary about Keith Haring. It's only an hour long. I really suggest it. Um, and, you know, he died very young of AIDS. 
and I remember watching toward the end and him them talking about his last years of his life and he was just like going, 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 like nonstop. And I remember seeing an interview with his friend that was just like, I kept trying to tell him he needed to rest. So for me, I want to encourage people through my work to be mindful and really be human. To breathe. <laughs> to breathe and to be very conscious and be good listeners and to love wholly and not on a surface level. So I want to be like anti-hustle culture, right? Like I want to I want to be able to encourage mindfulness, encourage all of that through my work. Whether that is accessibility or sharing parts of my process or posting videos that talk about it or asking questions that make people think more. Um, the other day I posted a question that I've, that's been running in my mind and it asked, you know, some of my followers, I'm like, do you follow people for the sake of genuinely loving what people do or are you following that, them out of fear that they are your competition to only keep tabs on? Because I notice that sometimes with artists too. It's like, they're people can be vultures and I'm like, this is useless. <laughs> like, I don't have time to talk crap about people I don't like. <laughs> right, yes. So um, I just want to facilitate that more. Well, I cannot add to that. That was the, I, I, I love what you said. And, and I think that you're doing that. You, the work, I love your work. I, I love those questions you posted the other day. And I really loved the pride balloons that you made are every time I think your work, I'm like, man, those are so cool. And, and I, I love them. They're, they're fantastic. Barry, thank you, thank you for doing this. This was, a, this was a gift. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you for having me. Massive shout out to Barry for coming on the show and sharing uh, so much heart and humanity and, and inspiration. Love your work, Barry. Thanks for doing what you do. Go follow Barry on Instagram at Barry Lee Art. You will be pumped every time one of his pieces or videos shows up in your feed. It's going to bring you heart, humanity, and, and some life and just fun. Barry's work is super fun. Thanks, Barry, for being on the show. Super, super appreciate all you're doing in the world. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity, 
Make sure you never miss an episode. Sign up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll receive an email each week when a new episode drops. And guess what? Here's the thing. I designed this podcast to fill you up with new ideas so that you have fresh hope and excitement for your creative practice so that you can put another week into the can, into the uh, another week of effort to push your creative career forward that much. Learn from the turtle, man, the tortoise. It's just slow and steady, okay? So you string enough of those weeks together, you're gonna get somewhere interesting. How do you do it? By staying pepped up each and every week. How do you do that? Sign up to the newsletter, creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. Thanks to, <laughs> thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing this show so beautifully. And this is the last episode that Jordan Aaron is editing. We love you, Jordan. You Working with you has been a breeze and you do phenomenal work. We hate to see you go, but we are excited for you leveling up your creative practice. I always love when team members do that. I, I just love it. It makes me so happy. So I'm super happy for you, man. Thank you for editing the show. Till we speak again, stay pepped up.